the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program today, and by the way, it's live today. Uh, evidently, we are fixed, and we got all of our technical issues, the problems we had with our cable carrier uh, fixed, so thank you for being patient. We apologize for not being live Friday and Monday. I was sitting here. I was ready to go, but it just wasn't working, so again, thank you for your patience. In case you're wondering, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR app. Um, One button that says call now, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our primary number, it's 340-9585. Well, we're all getting ready for Easter and it is the highlight of our year on the Christian calendar. It is the, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And the resurrection, that empty tomb, is what validates our faith. You know, especially when we're brand new believers. I think there are times when the doubts start to creep in. How do we know that what we believe is true? And how do we know that what other religions believe isn't true? And I've had the question a hundred times Well, but what about sincere people from other religions? The empty tomb is the absolute proof. The absolute proof that what we believe as Christians is true. It's why there will only be born-again Christians in heaven, because only our sins are forgiven. And since only God can forgive sins, Jesus had to prove he was God, and the way he proved he was God was to die and not stay dead. So Easter is a big day. Hey, can I take just a minute to invite you to our Easter services? We have two uh, on Sunday, 8.30 in the morning and 10.30 uh, at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. I told the church this weekend they got a brand new sound system, so even my voice is going to sound good. Um, got a big worship team uh, will be there for you. But 8.30 and 10.30 are two services at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. Uh, We will have all of your kids in classes, so uh, they will have a blast as well, and they're going to learn about Jesus in the empty tomb. So uh, we'd love to invite you. The one thing I would ask you to do, and I do this every year, is if you come from the radio audience, would you let somebody know, an usher, anybody that you see, uh, I'm from the radio audience, and Pastor Ron said he'd like to meet me. So uh, they'll bring you down to me, and uh, I'll be able to to look into your eyes and say thank you for listening and thank you for coming to the service. 
Um, I would also say bring unsaved family members and friends. Um, it's amazing. People always get saved at our services on Easter. And um, uh, this Easter will be no exception. So we'd love to have you uh, 8.30, 10.30 at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. I'll be saying that every day this week a couple of times just because we want to be sure that you get the opportunity to come. Um, I also wanted, and, and this is one of the reasons I was so upset yesterday that we didn't get on the air live, is because what I like to do uh, while we're waiting for your phone calls, and we'll take your phone calls during uh, the course of the program at any time, but while we're waiting for your phone calls, uh, I like to talk about um, what what we call Jesus' week of passion, um, what Jesus was doing on the days that were on the radio. Um, his first day of Passion Week, of course, you all know, we celebrated Palm Sunday, and that's his triumphal entry. I told our church that that's the worst title for an event in the Bible. It wasn't triumphal entry. It was a day when people were actually disappointed in Jesus. He rides in for the very first time being declared the Son of God and God the Son, the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. Up to that point, he'd kind of played it on the down low, you know. It was like, don't tell anybody what happened. Don't tell them what. Just go show them the offerings to the priests. But it was this day he had to be there. It was the exact day prophesied by the prophet Daniel in the ninth chapter of his prophecy. It was a day that every Jew in the area was looking forward to, a day they would have been counting down to. And that's why the crowds were so large. You know, we see the passion play presentations and we see the movies about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And, you know, there's 50 or 100 people around. It wasn't like that at all. There were literally multiplied thousands of people because this was the day they'd been waiting for. And as you know, he came riding to them on exactly the animal that was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, a donkey, a foal that had never been ridden. The people, knowing who he was, shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. They were demanding that Jesus deliver them from Rome. He, of course, came to deliver them from a far more insidious foe, and that's truth that he came to deliver people from themselves, from their sin. And they were disappointed when they finally saw who it was, or when the word would have traveled up through the crowd, that it's Jesus of Nazareth. Most of the people in the crowd would have been angry. Disappointed. It can't be him. We want him to, to deliver us from Rome, to establish the throne of David once and for all. But that's not what he came to do. He would have taught them about loving your enemies. They didn't want to love their enemies any more than you or I feel like loving our enemies. And I know this is hard for us to understand, but he, they were disappointed. And later that day, he stopped in the temple, weeping as he looked out over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew that I've come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. He looked at that temple and saw that it had been turned into a den of thieves the poor were being taken advantage of. And that's how his first day of Passion Week, his last week on earth, ended. We know on day two he woke up early in Bethany. And he was hungry. He wanted something to eat. He looked for a fig, and yet there wasn't a single piece of fruit in that tree. And doing one of his live-action sermon illustrations, he cursed the tree and it withered immediately. 
His disciples were taken aback. How did the tree wither so quickly? And what Jesus was doing was saying, look, this is what happened. I came to my own and my own received me not. I came looking for fruit and I found none. And so he cursed the fig tree. He would go on into Jerusalem on that second day. After thinking about it and speaking with his father all night, he would overturn the money changers' tables. The gospel, according to Jesus, was good news for the poor, and yet it was in the temple of God that the poor were being taken advantage of. And in turning everything over, Jesus was turning things right side up. It was a difficult day. On day three, the day that we are currently in now, on Tuesday, Jesus gave one of his most important messages, the Olivet Discourse. Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21. It was on day three of his passion that Jesus knew that Judas was brokering a deal with the religious leaders to betray him. I want you to think about that for a minute. That means the evening of this day and then day four, day five, day six, he would be with Judas knowing what he's done. And Jesus provided opportunity after opportunity for Judas to repent, and of course he wouldn't. And it was then that Satan entered into Judas, and the deed was done. A man who had done miracles at the hand of Jesus, a man who had been given the singular honor of being the treasurer, the keeper of the money, all along he'd been stealing from the money bag. And in the middle of Jesus' final week on earth, he had to deal with that pain. Tomorrow we'll talk about day four. In the meantime, we all ought to be figuratively, if not literally, on our knees giving thanks to God for what he's done. He did it for you. He did it because he considered you the pearl of great price, so valuable that he sold everything he had just to buy you. The parable says, what he found one pearl of great price? That's so significant because it means that if you were the only one that ever would have believed, Jesus still would have said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. That's why this week is so important to us and we need to remember exactly what he's done for us because, you see, it's the buyer of something that establishes the value. And he bought you with a price. The bank of heaven was emptied just for you. That's how valuable you are. The next time somebody or the next time an enemy of our soul whispers in your ear, you're not valuable, you're no good, you keep messing up, remember. You can respond by saying, no, 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 I'm a pearl. I hope you can tell that I love Resurrection Sunday week. Okay, phone calls if you have any, 340-9585. Let me get to some questions that have been sent in. Uh, here is a question from our e- email inbox from Kirby. Um, said, Pastor Ron, I think this is in response to a message I did last Sunday. Uh, if Jesus stayed in Bethany after the triumphal entry, I assume he would have stayed with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Uh, it's John chapter 11. What really happened that Jesus would have been hungry when he went to the fig tree in Matthew 21, understanding the Eastern culture of hospitality? Martha did earlier demonstrated such hospitality in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 40. Uh, Kirby, uh, hospitality was among the most important callings that any Jew or literally anybody in the ancient world had. It was dangerous to travel and 
um, to, to be able to go and have a safe place to stay meant everything. So hospitality was a prized attribute above other things. So it's not that um, Mary and Martha didn't feed Jesus. I'm sure there was a lot to eat. But here's what I'm thinking was the case. Because Jesus had such a broken heart, and because Jesus was up all night speaking to his father, because his father had given him an assignment, Jesus was eager to get out that morning. Probably simply not taking the time to eat. And you can imagine as they begin the journey, it's about five or six miles from Bethany into Jerusalem. And somewhere along the line, didn't say whether it was the first half or the second half of the trip, Jesus was hungry and he saw an opportunity to sort of eat on the run. Sort of the ancient version, the biblical world version of fast food. Hey, I just get me a fig. And of course, that wasn't to be the case. So, yeah, the culture of hospitality was so important. And uh, there would have been plenty. I just think Jesus was too heartbroken to eat. Now, Kirby, I, I don't know if you've ever been that heartbroken. I have. When your heart just hurts so deeply that there's nothing else you can think about. I personally think that's the case. So thank you for the question. I always tell the people at the church here to get into the story. That would be the best possible way to really understand what's going on around you in the story. Here is, um, let me look here for a moment. Uh, let's go to our first caller of the day from San Antonio, Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Jimmy. Okay. Um, hey, um, the, our prayers have been answered by my son. Um, he, uh, this past Saturday, he uh, talked to his girlfriend and told her that, that um, he didn't want to fornicate anymore until after marriage. How did she, resp- how'd she respond, Jimmy? She got really upset. <laughs> she told him... Um, she told him that he wasn't attracted to her anymore, and he says, no, that's not what it is. He says, my dad said that God was going to deal with me, and that he says the Holy Spirit is talking to me and telling me that I need, I need to come back to, to Christ Jesus. Good for him. And that, and But she's giving him a hard time. She's, um, she's giving him a hard time, like, bothering him and all this, and, but, you know, he's standing firm. I know he, it hurts him a lot because he has a child with her. But, um, you know, we went, we all went to church Sunday and we all took uh, a picture together and it was this bright, bright light that was shining above him and uh, and, and uh, him and his son. But I'm, I'm real grateful that, you know, I'm real grateful that he took a stand. Yep. That. And, and I mean, I was, I was just wondering those things would be answered, but they weren't. My yeah. wife and I were praying about that. Jimmy, thank and you very, very much for letting us know. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, well, I know you're still listening, Jimmy. Here's another piece of great advice that you, you can give him as his father. Tell him that the Bible says, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, what your son has done is thrown off the sin that entangles, but now he's got to take that next step and throw off everything that hinders. And if he's got a girlfriend who's pressuring him, mother of his child or not, that doesn't matter, but a a girlfriend who's pressuring him to sin, he needs to disconnect if he wants to stay right with God, then he doesn't need to be with an unbelieving woman anyway. And here's what will happen in all likelihood. The Holy Spirit will use his stand for Jesus to win her heart. She's got to be convinced that his Jesus is real, that his Jesus is worth having. And when he can look at her and say, you know what, I love you, but I love Jesus more. And I love him so much that I'm willing to risk losing you in the process 
uh, I'm just not going to be with somebody who's not a believer. We just had uh, not too long ago, uh, Jimmy, a wedding uh, here um, uh, when that exact thing happened. Um, um, a young man went home and said, you know, I, I've been listening to this preacher in Universal City and he talked about God loving me and I want to give my heart to him, but I have to get rid of the sin. and So I'm not going to do this anymore. And it was about three days later when she got saved. She saw the radical, dramatic change in him. And it changed her heart. That's what we do by taking a stand. We win people to Christ. Jimmy, thank you very, very much for the call. And we'll keep your son in prayer. Let's go to Seguin now and talk with Reuben online too. Reuben, good to hear from you. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, Reuben. That's great. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying. I, like I told you, I've been reading the new te- the Old Testament from the beginning, and I just finished Job, and I have a lot of questions on that that I wrote down that I'm going to ask you eventually. But I started the Book of Psalms, and I am just having a blast going through there. So it, they're so <laughs> beautiful. But but you know, um, you know Ruben, let me have, let me interrupt just for a second. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're a a, a musician and an artistic guy. Yes. And that yes. that book was written in large part by a musician who was an artistic guy. So uh, that's a perfect fit for you. And that's I'm going to look up because my Bible has like what it was written for, and it has like to the tune of this song. So I'm going to Google those songs and see how they went and then I'm going to see if I could try to do try to do them so I don't know if it's going to work but I'm going to try it I'm going to try it but mm-hmm. uh, I have a question okay and this is this is uh, 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 this is something I've been asking a lot but like pastors just you know they just I don't they just give me the same answers which doesn't make sense to me so hopefully you could give me an answer that's going to make sense to me Romans chapter 7 um, where it talks of, where, where Paul talks about sin, and then where he uh, he he he, he uh, uh, preface uh, the thing about his body when he talks about uh, knowing the law, and where he says, you know, I didn't know what covetous covetous was, and if it had not been for the law, so he's not saying that the law was wrong. He you know, and then he explained how sin came in through the law and all and all that. Okay, you know you remember you know where I'm at, right? Mm-hmm. I do. Okay, okay. So so then later on where he goes, but the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I hate, that is what I do. And then he keeps going on about how, you know, back and forth. But he says, at the end, he says, um, but it is the law of sin that's in me that keeps on doing the bad that I don't want to do. And then he says, who will save well, wretched man, who will save my soul? And then he says, uh, praise be to God, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, which I'm assuming that's the answer he gave to himself, was the Lord Jesus Christ. But my question is this. Um, in all of that, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. And in all of all of that, that, that saying, in all the verses he kept saying all of that, not once did he say if God understood the fact that we are wrapped in sin and that we are in a sinful body and not that it's okay in the sense that go out and sin and do whatever you want but it's okay because he realizes that we are in this body am am I making sense do I make sense yeah, I think I think you're complicating it a little bit, Ruben. It's really easy, and I'm I'm inside three minutes here, so before the break, so um, let let me explain to you. Verse twenty, I think, is the key. When he says, "Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it." He's not trying to escape responsibility for the sin. What he's realizing is the two natures that live within him. He has a nature that that wants to please God because he's born again. Uh, That's the overwhelming nature. And yet he's still stuck with this body of flesh. And because he's just fleshy and our sin is carnal, 
um, um, he has the same struggle, Reuben, that you have and that I have every day. The things my flesh wants to do. When he says that what I want to do, I can't do, that's the, the, the Christ in me, Paul, that he's talking about. But when he says what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. That's when the, the man in the flesh wins out. That's when instead of being propelled by the Holy Spirit, he's being moved by his own flesh and his own desires. Now, we don't know what his sins that he really struggled with are. I I personally believe that one of them was anger and sort of wanting to get even. We've got a lot of different instances where he talked about, you know, I wish they'd go all the way and emasculate themselves. But the idea is he's always got this struggle. And so he's not saying it's not okay. It's okay if I sin. He's not saying God understands when I sin. What he's saying is, when I sin, I don't please God. And then he comes to the conclusion, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, I want you to understand one other thing, Reuben, about this. This is Paul speaking autobiographically. This isn't some um, um, example that he made up. This is his own experience. And in verse 25, he says, The rescuer is Jesus Christ, living and At the end of his life, Jesus will rescue him. He'll rescue us today, every day, if we'll just let him. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final half hour for today 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is the questions from our email inbox this one is from chip he says Should Christians get involved politically in protecting people who are LGBTQ from issues like new stoning laws in the Far East? Chip, there's a, you know, I think one of the things that as Christians we have to do, we see things, um, the the sex trafficking, um, um, the immigration issues that we see, people who are escaping dire situations in the Far East. Uh, those who are, are, are coming from Syria, you know, that, that dictator has, has, has poisoned his own people in the past. And, and naturally, our hearts break for them. The problem is we, we don't have any sphere of influence there. So here's what we should do in terms of getting involved. We should pray. Now, I know people don't think that's enough, but that's the most powerful thing we can do. And and frankly, politically, there's nothing we can do. Now, we can get online and we can tweet information and we can make statements. But all of that is just useless. Remember, our weapons are not of this world, not carnal. But our weapons are godly weapons that demolish strongholds. And believe me, these are satanic strongholds. So there's nothing that we can do practically other than pray and i think that needs to be um the the place that we're really really engaged you know chip i've had people ask me questions like this most often about sex trafficking we got to do something about it why isn't the church involved in social justice and i'll ask him so tell me how much of your time is spent praying for them and we don't want to do that Typically, that's the last thing we do. It needs to be the first thing that we do. So it's very, very important. Let me also say that Christians everywhere should be involved with our voices and with our prayers in protecting everybody from ridiculous laws like stoning people. I mean, think about that. I think of a few years back, now I don't know, eight years or so back, when, when the Coptic Christians were beheaded very publicly on the, the, the beach in the Middle East because they wouldn't recant their faith in Christ by ISIS. Um, we have to take stands positionally against things like that. And while we can say with love in our hearts that 
homosexual activity is sin. And we say it because we want people to be in heaven. We have to be the men and the women who speak out the loudest against discrimination against them. It's not discrimination against them to say they can't get married. God created marriage. We're simply taking a biblical position. But if somebody's getting bullied, young or old, if somebody's being mistreated at work, they're, 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 they're being discriminated against at work because of, of, of their homosexuality or, or even because of their race, we've got to be the people that stand up and support them. And we can do that without affirming their sin. And in so doing, we're affirming common decency. So I have no authority in the Middle East. I have no authority outside the office doors here. But we need to get angry, righteously angry, when these kind of things happen. I'll give you another example. I've been asked about this, Chip, of female circumcision in the Middle East. It's something that families have been doing to their daughters for thousands of years. We cannot condone that. We can't say, well, you know, that's their issue. These are the kind of things that we've really got to take to the Lord in prayer. So it's really, really important. But stop worrying about social justice or political activity. And instead, think about how difficult it is for people in this world. And pray for them. Jesus is the answer. Here is a question from our email inbox. It says, uh, non-Bible-related question from Michael. He says, Hello, Pastor Ron. Uh, Good day to you and Paul. I hope all is well with both of you. It is, Michael. Thank you. Just a quick question. Is Calvary New Life San Antonio in Helodes a plant from your church? And thank you for your time. Uh, The church actually wasn't a plant initially from us. It was a plant of, I think, uh, um, Calvary Chapel North or North Calvary Chapel inside the Fortin Loop. Um, the the, uh, the the founding pastor of Calvary New Life um, was uh, a guy who came to our church for a while, but the Lord moved him to another church. He was a gifted worship leader and, and did worship at um, Calvary Chapel North, or North Calvary Chapel, I'm not sure off the top of my head what they, what they call it. Um, but he planted the church in Elodes. Now, uh, he got cancer and died. And uh, I say all of that because the new pastor and his wife there are people that started in our church and were with us for a long time. His name is Roy Rohirio. Um, one of the nicest people on planet Earth, Michael. You would love him. Uh, he's got a laugh that just shakes the building, uh, loves Jesus with all of his heart. Uh, and so it is It is now a ministry that is affiliated with ours. Uh, and um, I, I highly recommend Roy and his wife, Tina, um, you you might remember that their church was in the news um, a little over a year, year and a half ago. And there was a building in Helotis, a, a strip mall there, that they were serving uh, where they had their church, uh, and it burned down. And so the church had no place to meet for a while. Well, now they've found a, a, a place to meet. And um, so it's a small church, but a wonderful group of people, and you would be blessed. So if you're out in that area, Michael, um, Go tell Pastor Roy that Pastor Ron says hello and we love him and you will be blessed, I promise you. Here's a question, another from our email inbox. This one from Nacho. Knowing that God does everything for his glory, why did he wait until 70 AD to allow the temple to be destroyed? With Jesus' sacrifice some 40 years earlier, there was no need for animal sacrifices anymore. After the crucifixion, sex sacrifices would be pointless from God's perspective, I assume. Uh, not sure you're right, but remember, we don't, we don't have answers to the why did he wait questions. Um, I want you to think about something. We know that Jesus was crucified in 32 AD. That means that from the time Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, there was only 38 years before the prophecies in that Olivet Discourse that applied specifically to Jerusalem would be fulfilled. Jesus gave them 38 years to listen to what he said and to respond. 
and they chose not to do it. That's one of the reasons that he wept over Jerusalem. He, he, he knew that they were going to be destroyed. And he wanted to prepare them. He wanted to equip them. And basically, all they had to do was look to him. And all that would have been avoided. So, I don't think the question is, why did he wait till 70 A.D.? Or even why was he patient for so long? I think it happened in 70 A.D. because that's when Jesus knew. He didn't cause it, but that's when he knew it was going to happen. And in 70 A.D., all of those prophecies were fulfilled exactly as Jesus warned them. And the city of Jerusalem was devastated. The temple completely destroyed. And all they had to do was say yes when their Messiah came. The sacrifices were pointless, as you pointed out. Because at that moment, Judaism became pointless. Judaism without a Christ, remember, the the Jewish Christ came and they missed him. He came to his own and his own received him not. And what it means is that for the next 38 years, Nacho, all they did was go through the religious motions. The blood of bulls and goats will not take away sin. It takes the sin or the, or the, the blood of a perfect man to take away sin. And Jesus was that once-for-all sacrifice. And by the way, Nacho, the answer to that question is really what the entirety of the book of Hebrews is dealing with. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Here's a question from David. He said, did Jesus care about or get involved in politics? Um, Only as a matter of obedience to the law. Give to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, he said. Uh, I guess you could say that was a political statement. He wasn't going to support a rebellion against Rome. That wasn't what he came to accomplish. But honestly, no, Jesus didn't care about or get involved in politics because he was always about his father's business. And David, his father's business was people like you and me. I mean, Jesus lived every moment of his life to die. Jesus didn't live to have a family. He didn't live to have a career. He didn't live to be successful. He didn't live to be happy. He lived to die. And anything and everything that might have waylaid him from that course had to be put away. So no, he didn't get involved in politics. Now, I assume that the motivation behind this question is wanting to know if Christians should get involved in politics. And I think the answer is yes, if you're called to. I know some people, I had one on this radio program a a couple of years ago, uh, a Christian pastor who ran for um, a mayoral position or a city council position, I can't remember which now. Um, It was a congressman, thank you, my producer just told me. Um, And and, and in talking to him, he, he convinced me he really felt called. And so that's what he did. And I think it would be a good thing if committed Christians would get involved in politics if they were called to do so. But remember, when God calls you and God equips you, then you've got to represent him. That's when compromise stops. And that's when we have to be faithful in the face of criticism and even persecution. Faithful to God. And it's a very, very difficult calling Yes, I think if people are called, they should. Now, the only other way that we really need to get involved politically is to vote. And we vote uh, because we're free to do it. We've been given that responsibility, that privilege. Uh, there's no biblical mandate, by the way, that says to vote. I know every time the voting comes, uh, the Bible tells us we have to vote. It doesn't. But the principle is that we can be involved in the process. And we have our voice heard, and Christians need to vote because we need, in the public arena, our voices to be heard because the voices that are being heard, the ones that are loud and and, uh, and, and, and shouting all the time, are the ungodly voices. And so our voice needs to be heard so we can participate. 
But remember, this is not our kingdom. This is where we serve God. And I think too many Christians, because the church in America especially, has decided that you've got to be a Republican to be a Christian. When that couldn't be farther from the truth. You've got to follow Jesus to be a Christian. And if you follow Jesus, there's going to be positions that you're going to have to take that are going to line up more with one side than the other. But what we've got to do is decide who we're serving, to whom do we belong. So let your voice be heard, vote. But being involved in politics is is almost the same thing as saying, uh, I want heaven on earth, so I'm going to do this, instead of saying, Jesus, you know what, I'm going to follow you. When Jesus was here on earth, at the end of his more than three-year ministry, he had only a few followers. And he waited until the day of Pentecost, some 50 days after his death and resurrection, to change the world. That's what we need to do, David, is have him change the world by the power of his Spirit working through the Church of Jesus Christ. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, why do we have to care about doctrine or theology instead of just loving Jesus? Good question, Anonymous, but the answer is really simple. Without doctrine that's good and solid, without um, knowing your Bible, you don't really know who Jesus is. And what happens if your doctrine is false or if your doctrine is weak? Uh, Paul told Timothy at the end of his life to watch your life and doctrine closely. You can't live for Jesus if you don't know who he is. I know it sounds so goosebumpy to say, well, I just follow Jesus. I don't care about all that doctrinal stuff. The problem is you end up misrepresenting him. You're trying to make him over in your image instead of understanding that you were made in his image. You end up coming alongside people who claim to be Christians who really aren't Christians at all because their Jesus isn't the Jesus of the Bible. So doctrine matters, Anonymous, more than I can tell you. You've got to have the right Jesus. You've got to know the promises that are made. You've got to be able to look at your Bible and receive the instructions. And just loving Jesus is never going to be enough because most of the time you're going to be loving a Jesus that isn't the Jesus of the Bible. So we got to know who he is. And God bless uh, we are the most blessed of all by God. Think about this. We've been given the full and final revelation of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. I mean, if you were here when Jesus lived and died and then the tomb was empty, we might say, well, I know all about him. I know the whole story. But you see, that was nearly 2,000 years ago. So we've got to have a foundation for our faith. We can't be led by our emotions. We can't be led by goosebumps or the lack of goosebumps. We have to have something tangible to hold on to. And your Bible, the living, active Word of God, will teach you not only who He is, but how to respond. Let me make a suggestion to you, Anonymous. Read the book of Ephesians. And here's how I'm going to ask you to do it. For three days twice a day. This won't take very long at all because it's not long. For three days consecutively, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Read it twice a day, just three chapters. It won't take long at all. You can do a chapter a day, you can do the next chapter the next day, or you can do it all at once. But, but, but at least three days in a row, read the first three chapters of Ephesians. Then when you've done that, You'll understand what God has done for you. The design of the book of Ephesians is magnificent. The first three chapters are what God's done for us. The next three chapters are what our response to what God has done for us should be. So after you've read the first three chapters, every day a couple of times, then do the same thing with the last three chapters. 
couple of times every day for three days. At the end of those six days, I promise you, you're going to understand why doctrine matters. You can't just love somebody you don't know. And the more you get to know Jesus, I promise you, the more you're going to love him. And the only way you can do that is in his word. You cannot be spiritually lazy anonymous and count on the goosebumps or the emotions of just loving Jesus. You know, I love Jesus with all of my heart. I hope the audience knows that after listening for a long time. But the truth is, I love him more today than I did 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 28 years ago. And the reason I love him more is because I know him better. Before we were strangers, I mean, he saved me, I knew that, but we were strangers. It's kind of hard to talk to a stranger, ask any new believer to pray publicly, and you'll see them turn ash and white because they don't know what to say. They don't, they're talking to a man they don't know. They know of him, and faith has saved them, but the relationship is still based on being strangers. But the more you get to know him, and the better and the bigger he becomes, the more loving he is and the more loved we know we are. It changes everything. And unless our contemporary Christian culture is spiritually lazy, every single one of us ought to love Jesus more now than we ever have before. For many, many years, Anonymous, uh, and by the way, this Anonymous single is a single man. Uh, oh, that's the next question. I'm sorry. I'm having some problem with my eyes today. Um, you got to know who he is. Okay, let me go to the anonymous single question. Uh, why don't more churches have active singles groups where it's easy to find a potential partner? Uh, anonymous, I, I think there are some of those groups and people, but here's the thing, and I always answer this question the same way. Our job is not to get you married. That's simply not our job. Our job is to teach you the Word of God, to teach you to follow Jesus, and let Jesus take your hand and lead you to the to the woman that um, He's preparing for you. You know, what single people don't realize is that while they're single, God is preparing them. If the desire of their heart is to be married, God is preparing them to be married. All the while, He's preparing that person for you. And at just the right time, the two of you will meet and God will smile. But please understand, church is not a grocery store where you go shop for what you like or what you think you need. Church is a place to serve, to serve others. If you're looking for a spouse and that's your motive for coming to church, then you're looking to be served. And by the way, uh, I, I think church is a great place to find a prospective spouse. But but you only find that spouse by following Jesus to him or to her. And if your motive for coming to church is, well, I'm going to get hooked up, that's, that's just not a godly motive at all. So it's just not our job. We have one singles group here. It's called Single Pearls, and the whole purpose, it's for women. And its whole purpose is to teach women to learn to be content in their singleness. I'd be sending mixed messages, wouldn't I? If I said, okay, well, once a month we're going to have a mixer so you can get together and check each other out. That's just not at all a godly thing to do. Hope that answers your question. We have three minutes. Let me get a question. Oh, here's an easy one I can do in three minutes. It's from Rob. He says, my question is about Kenneth Copeland. Is he a reliable teacher? Rob, the answer is no, 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 a thousand times no. He is one of the worst, one of the most heretical so-called Bible teachers uh, among all Christians anywhere and everywhere. Uh, he is a deceiver. He is a wolf. I guess you get the idea now that he's not reliable. Um, his ministry ought to have a skull and crossbones on it. 
and people that listen to him and people that approve and shout amen are people who have no idea what their Bible says and have no idea who their Jesus is. And I've studied Kenneth Copeland a lot because when I was a brand new believer with all kinds of money problems, Rob, uh, the guy come by and tell me that Jesus wants you to be rich and I wanted to be rich so I thought, okay, let's see if I can be rich. And I wanted Kenneth Copeland to be true. I wanted Fred Price to be true. I wanted Kenneth Hagin to be true. I wanted John Hagee to be true. But they weren't. And that false prosperity teaching has devastated countless lives. And those men and women, unfortunately, are going to have a lot to account for on the day when they stand before Jesus. Kenneth Copeland is arrogant and dangerous, so stay away. Well, we're coming pretty close to the end of the program, so that'll be the last question I do. But let me remind you again uh, of our Easter services this coming Sunday, uh, 8.30 and 10.30 in the morning uh, at the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. We'd love to have you come out. You will be blessed abundantly by the people um, you know, our church, we're in a really small building and, and um, you know, you come to the three services you don't see, but you come and you see that nearly thousand seat auditorium filled twice. And you think all these people come to our church and the answer is, yeah, they really do. So uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, if you get there, make sure you tell one of the ushers you want to meet Pastor Ron. You're from the radio audience. They're instructed to, to bring you down. And Paul and I would love to meet you and give you a hug. But mostly what we're there for is to give thanks to our Jesus who died for our sins and didn't stay dead. Easter's our best day. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.